Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for my podcast, Great New American Essays. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's spotlight is on the literary magazine, Michigan Quarterly Review. I'm joined by the magazine's nonfiction as well as online editor, Shanrika Barua. She's a writer, scholar, translator. She hails from Assam, India. She's also a PhD candidate in the Department of English and Literature at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, where she's writing a dissertation on the encounter between imperial objects and colonial bodies in the British Empire, most notably British India. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for having me on the podcast, and I'm really excited about our conversation today. Wonderful. So uh, let's go ahead and start in. Um, tell me a bit about Michigan Quarterly Review. I know you've joined rather recently as an editor, but I'm sure you've been well aware of it. Um, you know, we cover a lot of different literary journals on the show. What would you say is kind of the, the stamp, the unique niche, the things that make an essay, for instance, when you're looking at it and say, yeah, this is a Michigan Quarterly Review kind of essay? <laughs> Um, wow, that's a tall order. Um, like that's you said, <laughs> I I joined uh, MQR uh, fairly recently, like last September. Um, and uh, MQR has had uh, obviously a much longer history. It was founded in 1962, and since then, um, it's been publishing mostly in the genres of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. Often, also works in translation. Actually, we have a special issue coming up. Um, the special issue in fall uh, 2024 is on translations as a theme, um, which which will be exciting. But um, so, yeah, I think this the, the question you asked about what makes an essay, an MQR essay, it, it kind of um, ties into some of my um, anxieties around this role, because I, I think I'm a good reader. But I'm just one reader at the sure. end of it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have very specific um, subjectivities as a reader. I like very specific content, specific themes. Um, and then I, I'm always wondering, you know, what if it was someone else and they might have really liked the essay. And it's just like that the difference between me and a different reader that makes that kind of like a very important decision for this author who has submitted their work to our care. Um, and then I think it's it's very uh, difficult to make those decisions sometimes. But just speaking from a very personal point of view, I think I especially look for essays that are inventive in form. Um, and I think you might have seen in, uh, in our recent issues, we publish a lot of like these hybrid pieces that kind of interweave different genres. Like, um, and usually the most common form would be incorporating the visual medium into poetry or into nonfiction essays or stories. Um, I find experiments like that very brave and bold and new. Um, so that's one thing I would say. The other thing is um, like having that element of surprise, which is when I start uh, reading a piece, I'm like, okay, this is about this one thing. And then by the end of it, it takes you somewhere else entirely. And I find that very exciting. And that surprise can be delightful at times. And at times it can be terrifying or unsettling in that it reveals a truth that is so ordinary that it's almost like, how could I have not seen this? <laughs> sure. I, I really like being unsettled or challenged. So I think I seek those um, emotions 
but again, it's just, uh, <laughs> that's just my uh, perspective and how I've been kind of um, uh, collecting pieces for these few issues that I've worked on. Sure. And I would say even as one voice, we can be in one mood or orientation one day and something else the next day. So there's not even necessarily continuity within our own sensibility at every given moment. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So th those are very fair answers. You kind of anticipated my second question. So you get a lot of essays and you're making your way through all of these. What sort of things make you lock in and say, ah, this is my this is a piece under serious consideration. You you mentioned two elements I liked a lot, the inventiveness of form and the surprise element that it's taking you someplace you wouldn't have anticipated. But um, know you got to make your way through all these submissions. Yes. At some point, uh, is it sometimes the the title, the phrasing, the voice? Um, you, you think you have any particular... Um, angles that that tend to hook you in yeah oh i am i'm a sucker for like good titles okay. i think i'm 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 very very um even when i like pick books to read i'm like titles do a, a lot for me um but in conversations with like especially for the special issues we sit with like the guest editor the editor-in-chief and we collectively make decisions on pieces unlike the general issues where it's like um, where I select a few pieces and I send it to the editor-in-chief and he gives his final approval. But the special issues are much more collaborative. And there sometimes, like, um, I remember we had this one piece that's that's going to be published in the African writing special issue. It's such a powerful piece. It's just, the writing is just brilliant. The voice is so strong. The content is just um, extremely heartfelt. But for me... The, I felt like the title just does a disservice to the content because I don't think the readers, when they're like going through the content, the contents page, they'll be like, hmm, okay, not very interesting. You know, like, sure. because I'm that, so I imagine all readers would be like that. So uh, that's one, one uh, like moment when I was, I asked the guest editor if we can like nudge them to consider a different title. Title, sure. Just do the piece um, like greater service. But so definitely titles, but, um, but I've tried to, because I mean, I need to honor the piece for what it is. So I've kind of tried to move away from, from that budget <laughs> sure. um, a little bit. Um, but I, I think, for me, in terms of beyond like all of these things of the surprise and um, and the form, um, I love good introduction and a good ending. Um, I think a lot is done with that, where even if the piece meanders somewhere in the middle, um, it can be kind of pulled together if if it has like really banger opening and a really, really strong ending. Um, so that's another thing I'd say. And then beyond that, also reading for cultural relevance, um, what needs to be said now that is not being said perhaps, or what is being said now that needs more of it being said. Um, so that's another thing I think about when choosing essays. Oh, no, I think that's a, that's a great list. I remember even when I was a young man, sometimes when I was trying to decide which band I wanted to go here. I was like, yeah, yeah. this is such a lame title for a band. You know, I'm not going to bother to go to that club um, because it was my first sense of how inventive <laughs> they were. Um, and um, yeah, I think the close of an essay is really important. Does it almost feel like it's the click of the box and it just hits it? Or um, yeah, does it make too much? You go to a different analogy from a, 
Olympic diving doesn't make too much of a splat at the end and it just doesn't quite hit it right. So yes. uh, speaking of special issues, let's go to the Africa issue. And mm -hmm. I chose a few uh, that seemed to kind of click or work for me uh, that may or may not have been the ones that worked for you, but uh, uh, presumably they all did because they're in the collection. The one I, I was really struck by was my hairdresser is dead. Yes. Um, first of all, it got my attention because I'm like, is the, is the hair salon a, a crime scene? Uh, what, <laughs> why why is the hairdresser dead? Did the SAS <laughs> kill them, witness the murder? Uh, what's yeah. going on? But as I got into it, I think the moment I really locked in was a very surprising connection. They said salon and saloon, and they yes. both involve moments of intimacy where mm. to the bartender or to the hairdresser, you confess and share things that even people in your ordinary life may not know about you or how you're feeling in that given instance. So that was something for me, but for you, if you recall that essay, is there anything more you'd like to, to uh, summon about it? Yeah, no, I think that is that essay is such a perfect example of a great first line and a great title because it immediately draws you in and you want to know what is happening. Like you said, you're like, is this a crime scene? What is happening here? What is, it's such a, perfect like it's I just love the title and I think that dreamy instantly and even um like beyond that I think the essay is so and the okay let me rephrase that so the other thing that really drew me was that this voice is something that I don't usually see in memoir style writing which tends to be more um, like serious or it, it has a lot of gravitas but here the author Imelda um, she is so funny like the, this this essay is so funny and it's written in such a light-hearted manner despite it dealing with very serious and very like um, relevant culturally relevant issues but the tone is so like it's so frothy and fun um and I, I we don't see that a lot in many of the like in most non-fiction writing that 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 we kind of publish in the essay in the issue so i think that's another thing that drew me and then beyond that also like what you mentioned is um just these alternative um ways of finding community finding sisterhood um also like her meditations on beauty and grief um, because the hairdresser is tied to her notions of beauty. But also then when she dies, she actually grieves that death so deeply and so intimately, which is which just makes us aware of all of these different kind of intimacies that we build beyond the family, beyond our partner, beyond our friends, but like maybe the grocery seller with whom you, you know, like you, you kind of develop this easy um, camaraderie with or someone that you see on the road. Um, every day you walk by, you see someone like these kind of alternative intimacies that don't usually um find their place in like memoirs so i think that um was another thing that really struck me in this essay yeah no and i, and I did like the humor as well because i remember at one point fairly early on she says i'm not famous uh yet um <laughs> so there there's a casualness that makes it with some serious subject matter certainly and but the the the, the um, ability to shift tones i, I found yeah. it very enjoyable very enjoyable yeah, yeah. So, so another one, something I admit that I sometimes look for in an essay is, can it kind of change the scale? Can it be intimate? And then it can also use it to illuminate larger cultural historical issues. 
Well, yeah. one that did that for me a bit was side pieces. I'm still with the Africa issue. And, you know, she's talking about, you know, the, the title for, for listeners uh, really talked about having someone on the side, uh, a, a personal extra relationship beyond your uh, commitment, whether it's in a long-term relationship or in a long yeah. marriage. Um, and she's making it sound like it's a fairly thriving uh, alternative community there. Um, and then on the other hand, she says, well, when it's convenient for the politicians, they crack down. They know all about it, but yeah. at a moment where they need to rally support for themselves, then the, then those turn draconian. And yeah. that was an interesting moment for me in the essay because it, it shifted the stakes involved. It was personal mm -hmm. lives. Am I happy? <laughs> uh, is everyone working with this arrangement okay? And that's like, like oh, yes, there's the politicians. And yes. that just changes everything because it can change everything. They have the power to do so. Um, you want to comment on that or other parts? This is an essay set in Ghana, which is the first of the African countries uh, to get their, their freedom those colonial days. Yeah, no, I think that piece too was so, um, I think the author is also the writer of um, this um, pretty acclaimed book called Lives of Great Men, um, Living and Loving as an African Gay Man. Um, and uh, this piece, I think, kind of visibilizes some of those tensions of living in a country where you cannot be your full self. And then how do you kind of um, accommodate these different parts and aspects of yourself when the state is saying that you need to be something else? And I think there we see how, in a way, it's, it kind of ties in with um, my hairdresser is dead in, in the sense that here also you see people trying to... Um, find alternative ways of living and loving yes. Yes. Um, and the author and I find this very interesting and I think I feel like this is the emotional core of it that they do not stigmatize this way of finding alternative ways of living and loving which is that you you kind of do this heteronormative marriage and then you have your side piece who is your um, you know your gay or your lesbian partner um, they don't stigmatize stigmatize it, but they do say how, despite us trying so hard to survive, we kind of come around and find our ways back to the same script, the heteronormative script. And that is where you kind of find uh, ways to survive, which is like such a, like in a way, it's kind of challenging that, but also subscribing to that same script. Um, yes, and I think here, the last, yeah, the last line here is again, beautiful. Um, I think he says, the more things have changed, the more they have stayed the same. And I was that it 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 was so sad, so tragic, and so true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Ming. Yeah, it it strikes me in both the essays that you have. I mean, obviously the the population and the significance of Africa is really swelling for all of us. Um, but it, you you really do get a sense of people scrambling to find a way forward. That there's a lot of dynamicness, but there's also a lot of precariousness. Uh, that that's that's happening. Uh, before we move on, I have to make sure my favorite moments from Ghana history. So Richard Nixon goes to the country as vice president to attend the uh, independence ceremony. He's yeah. standing next to a gentleman. And he says, "What is it like to, to finally be free?" And the man mm -hmm. says to Nixon, "I wouldn't know, sir. I'm from Alabama." <laughs> I, I can only imagine the shock on Nixon's face yeah. at the moment that he heard that answer. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
let's go to one more, um, also with a very intriguing title. Um, this is actually moving now to the winter 2024 issue. It's an essay called Zombie Tag. It, it won an award in your essay contest. Um, th there are so many ways in which I was intrigued by this piece, but mm -hmm. rather than my uh, taking the stage first um, and saying my piece on the essay, I'll, I'll let you go first. What what might have struck you about this? Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, so this piece, actually, I, I didn't select it for yes, the issue per se because it was the winner of um, our inaugural nonfiction essay. Uh, essay prize so um so yeah so it's after um it, it was included in the piece that i read it um in in case it needed any like further editing or or, or anything like that and um i think this is one of that piece where i begin reading it and i'm like i'm trying to understand what it is about and i come to this thing okay this is about motherhood and um and belonging and then it just takes us to all of these different um kind of themes through um through this very interesting like i i so like the way that the essay is framed as in the different iterations of zombie um across different cultures and then um i i thought that that would be it but then she also does that um with the, with tag, the word tag, and how that also has these different iterations of touch and tap and all of that. And and sometimes when authors kind of take on a framing like that and commit to it, sometimes it doesn't work um, or it feels um, artificial. Yeah, contrived yes, for it. Like, yeah. yeah, contrived. Yes, I think that's a better word. But here, I think it's so organic in the way that it kind of ties everything together because in the beginning, like I said, I was like, okay, this is about difficult motherhood. And then you go and find out that uh, the child, um, the, the author is Julia, that the child is autistic or yep. on the yep. autism spectrum. And then I'm like, oh, and then I go back and everything, like everything I read had this like different layer to it that was not what I was expecting. And then they move on to like these feelings of being outsiders in their community, outsiders in their home, outsiders in their bodies, and her outsider, like her feeling like an outsider, even in the role of motherhood. And somehow all of that just comes together so beautifully. Um, and I think here too, I, I don't know if it's, if it's the last line, but there is a line, um, where um, she says, so instead, like this is after um, she and her child like plays the game and she's worried how the child would act um, with others. And then they go back home and she says, instead we make our slow way home, my body carrying his, an undead, unsinkable sea. And it was just, I, I feel like that brings together so much about the different violences. I think you mentioned this, like the intimate violence and then the violences of feeling like outsiders um again in your body and outside and then the weight of language um the weight of her body as like a mothering body and her child's body as something that is non-normative um so yeah it's just a beautiful meditation on on so many things that seem to be incompatible but somehow they all came together um, yeah. Yeah. No, but, I, 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 really, I was really struck by the essay as well. I, um, you know, the, uh, the the language roots for the word zombie yeah. and tag. Um, so it's almost like the word themselves have multiple identities. Then she has multiple identities. She is Jewish. She is Ukrainian. Is she a survivor? Is she an escapee from the war? Is she a victim? Um, yes. You know, her son is 
on autism scale and says something really striking during this game of tag. He says, everyone's brain is rotten. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, is that a heavy line? <laughs> uh, this sort of gets your attention, but it's it's so provocative and it's such an exploratory essay. Um, very, very intriguing. Um, we might have time for at least one more. This one is kind of going to that visual uh, element that you talked about that attracted you. So it's a piece called Enacting Masculinity, and it involves redacted legislation. And I just thought it was striking. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at there and let you jump in. Yeah, um, this essay too, like I, I can't take the credit for like choosing it because I was not with MQR at that point. Um, the nonfiction editor at that time was Laurel Billings and... Um, and then there was a special um, issue editor, Alex. Um, so they are the ones who kind of brought this piece into the world. But I just love this so much. I think this is, um, I think, like I said, like it, it it takes the visual form, but in such a in such an inventive way. Where um, and I've seen many like recent poets doing this, um, where they take his. Um, legal documents official documents and they kind of write against it or write into it or like underwrite it to um to show us on one hand the artificiality or of of this kind of language of legal language and on the other hand to kind of take us to the core of the messaging with some which sometimes gets lost in all the jargon so here i think in this piece um the author presents us Four bills, if I'm not wrong, four Senate bills on trans healthcare and um, trans um, sports, or the, the whole debate around um, trans people being included in sports, in women's sports. And um, they block out almost all of the text, except like just a couple of words to make one <laughs> sentence. And um, and that and those sentences are so, so powerful. And in a way, it's like it bring in a way it's. How I read it is that it collates all of these different dispersed truths and gives us that this is what this document actually means, or this is what will happen um, if this thing, you know, uh, if this thing is passed. Yeah, the, which, the consequences. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, I was just like the form is so striking, and you, there is no way there is like you can't look away but pay attention to these words that remain. Uh, after the blocking out of the entire uh, kind of passage, but but yeah, what 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 are your thoughts on this piece? Well, I, I thought it was funny because so often when you have a redacted uh, political, historical, governmental document, the elements that are left are really innocuous because yes. you know they've they've hidden all the important stuff. In this case, it's almost reverse. Uh, the really <laughs> important essence that probably even eludes the the understanding of these repressive legislators. Um, yeah. is actually revealed by what's what's allowed for us to see. Uh, and I, for me, also just all the rejecting was so like thunderclouds, just oppressive, mm -hmm. like the storm that's brewing over, you know, personal identity and attempts to close it down. So just visually, it was a heavy piece just by the volume of black ink involved. Yes. Um, and that almost set up the tone for me. Um, and uh, I, I, I just, it's, it disturbed me from the very moment that I came across it, and then it just kind of built as I put the puzzle pieces together. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. And another example of a great title, 
um, like where the states of North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi teach me how to be a man. Yeah, man. yeah. yeah it's, it's just so evocative and so, so many. <laughs> yeah, I was, I just, I really love this piece. Sure. Yeah. And, and one last thing, I don't normally go there, but I, I had to look up where Assam, India is. Uh, I, I've been to India and spent two weeks there. I've traveled to probably 70 countries or more. So I, I'm not as geographically as illiterate as at least some Americans <laughs> are. But uh, this is a very unusual piece of India that you're from because it's really kind of hanging out there in the bar, very northeast corner of India all to itself. Yeah. How might that inform your your sensibility, your perspective on the world? It's almost like being from that region is like being an outsider within India itself. Oh um, no, absolutely! I, yeah. I I that is such a great read on on the regional situation because I think um, Assam, as a part of Northeast India, which is like a conglomerate of seven states, um, they have been uh, considered like culturally kind of like different from uh, mainland or northern India because um, because we because there have been historically so much um, kind of traffic between China, Myanmar and these states that uh, the cultures in in this region are more aligned with East Asian or Southeast Asian cultures than say mainland India. So it's it's very interesting because um, there is, in fact, within India for the longest time now that word has been banned. But for the longest time, a racial slur was used against people from this region, which is um, which is a slur that was used against Chinese people. Oh, um, okay. So in a way, there was that visual cultural kind of conflation of people from this region with the Chinese, um, like a very... <laughs> This is just a lot of historical. Uh, yeah, no, I figured it had to be a very different, you know, kind of mix yeah. that's going on there. Um, but yeah, and I, um, it, it was fascinating because I, someone gave me that racial slur as a nickname to me growing um, up, and I never knew. Um, I just, oh, this is a <laughs> lovely nickname, and then <laughs> I, in in undergrad, I discovered the history of of this word, and I was just like, how did this word? kind of get transferred from that context to this context. And now it's like devoid of its historical meaning that people just use it as a nickname. Um, and actually my research project emerges from this, like how objects travel and how discourses travel and completely change their semantic life. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think me being from that region and this rediscovery of what it means to be from that region has shaped um, how I think about like my research and my writing for sure. sure. Thank and you. I, for and I, no, and I, and I think it would inevitably heighten one's sensitivity and yeah. awareness. So I want to thank you, Shandrika. I mean, your your honesty, your passion for what you're doing is, is really fabulous. Uh, for listeners, this has been an essay focused on Michigan Quarterly Review, and Shandrika Barua is the nonfiction and online editor. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Be well. Thank you so much, Dan. This was just wonderful. Um, this is my first podcast, and I'm just um, very, very happy with the experience. It was so comfortable. Thank you. Sure, absolutely. Thank you.